episode of Arpadayo, where we have a conversation with Ruthie Ed. Hi, my name is Ruthie Ed. I am Dene or Navajo from the Four Corners region of the United States. I currently live in Durango, Colorado, and I go to Fort Lewis College. How was it when you first moved to the Middle East, and how did you choose the UAE in specific? Initially, I wanted to go to Central or South America, but there was a language requirement for the study abroad program. And when that happened, I had to find an English-speaking university in another part of the world. So I figured if I go there, I can, like, you know, being there will open my eyes and, you know, help me understand all of these concepts that I've just learned in the classroom. And so that was really important. A lot of people were really, like, nervous for me. Because there's just, like, the stigma of sticking the entire Middle East together. And then it's not even just the Middle East. It's, like, North Africa. And I don't know. Because, like, the delineation of the Middle East is really difficult for a lot of people. Because they're like, oh, my gosh. War in Syria. Palestine. Israel. Bombs. Uh, and then I was like, no. The UAE is pretty chill. We'll be fine. And that was... My initial reasoning for going, it was just I had no connection to go. I could spend a year and make some. And that's what I did. I, I met the wonderful Halima. <laughs> yeah, and I think for me coming, I wanted, I didn't really want to, like, learn. Like, I knew I would learn academically a lot of things. But it was really the experience for me. And that's just coming from, like, a Navajo Diné perspective of like we have experiential learning like that's where you learn you learn through experience and you learn through communication and you know relationships and so that's really what I wanted to form with other people and even if like I only met someone once and I only had one conversation I didn't want to be like a pro like you know someone who wanted to get something from them I just wanted you know especially as a native person um like once I saw the diversity um of everyone here besides Emirati people. Mm-hmm. And again, that was another reason I came because I'm a Native American and Indigenous Studies major at my college here in the U.S. And so I understood that the Emirati people were Indigenous and they were an Indigenous people who were in control of their country, which is not very often, like you don't see that very often in world history. So that was intriguing for me, another reason I came. And so I had this perception that it would just be, like, Emiratis and other people who I didn't really have, like, I knew that there were other people, but I just had no categorization or, like, how, what, who constituted that other group. And when I got here, I was like, oh, I have, you know, like, I can trade stories with all of the people here, the Emiratis who I can connect with on an indigenous level, all of the expats, whether they're from the Western world, like, and if they're from the Western world, then I can connect with them being an American. And then if they're not from the Western world, I can connect with them as being a, you know, a part of a colonialized body. And, you know, so I could make all these connections and I can share stories with so many different people. And that was what was really important because I wanted to get, you know, I, I suppose I wanted just to have people tell me stories and then I'd tell them something about me. And that way it would be an exchange and... As a NAIS, which is the Native American and Indigenous Studies major, I really emphasize, you know, like taking a not a decolonized perspective. And decolonized, I mean, that's um, understanding that colonialism happened all over the world and it impacted everyone. And then whether you're a part of the colonized group or the colonizer, you know, just understanding that it happened and that it hurt a lot of people, and that people are still suffering the repercussions of it, but, you know, working on healing that. And a part of healing is to create new relationships, not based on, you know, like, especially not based on, like, racialized or hierarchical systems of viewing people. And so just kind of taking in all this new information you're getting and exchanging, really, 
and then, you know, taking that information and creating new relationships and new understandings of one another. That was what I really wanted out of this. Plus all the learning. I learned Arabic. I mean, a little bit. <laughs> no, I think your Arabic is pretty, like, good. It's not bad. You know, I mean, you came to the UAE not knowing how to write or read. And you learned yeah. it. <laughs> and you learned how to write and read. That is so awesome. Like, that's amazing. Because people take years yeah. to learn that, but you did it. Yeah, that was one thing, especially going as a native person to the UAE. I had a large amount of privilege coming as an American, which is something I wasn't necessarily used to because, like, my family is by no means wealthy. Like, we're actually, you know, like, we have struggles financially in the past, and um, Native people in general suffer from, you know, just our society suffers from things like alcoholism, drug abuse, sexual and domestic violence, and, you know, like, just psychological problems like depression, suicide, um, and we also, so like, so all of these problems, like, all of the things I have listed have manifested in my, my, like, what is it, like, direct family and my extended family. So, you know, I've seen these things, like, not, not all of them have impacted, like, my life personally, but, you know, like, if you hear about one of your cousins dying in, you know, a, like a, like a drunk driving accident or, like, being murdered, you know, it still affects you and, you know, and even just your whole tribe, it really, like, impacts you as a person. So that was something that, you know, I brought with me. And as an American, people don't see that. Like, even Americans in, like, America don't see that, like, with Native people. But so when I had this privilege of being an American in a country that valued Americans or, like, kind of, I don't want to say it was, like, hierarchical, but in the way it is, but, so I had all these privileges, but then I could still connect with all of these people who, you know, were working as more menial workers or had different positions in society in the Middle East than I did, and it was, it was a position I had never been in before, as a, like, as a Native person, because I was used to being I don't want to say I was, because I have, I do have privileges because my mother is educated, so I have that privilege, and I'm aware of that, but I think in the U.S. I understand my privileges a little bit more, whereas when I went to the UAE as an American, I had to kind of understand where I was and how I related to others in this new society, and that was an experience that was, I don't know, it was... It was different, but it was helped out by just talking to people, which was good. Um, and just understanding their experiences. And discuss were like tribes like like the, the, the perception that you would have when it comes to tribes versus the perceptions that I would have when it comes to tribes and like how different it was but at the same time kind of similar similar like do you want to talk about that like how, how do you see tribe in your daily life well so when I introduce myself I give you my four clans which are like how we base relationships on. So if someone shares one of my clans, then we're related. And that's how we go about our relationships. And so for me, it's always been really 
um, it's really important to establish how I'm related to someone, mm -hmm. whether or not I'm a stranger to them or a close relative or like a distant relative. You know, like those are important for me to like start the, like those are the foundations I have for building a future relationship with someone um, and cultivating that relationship. So when I didn't have a context for that, um, it was, I think also going to the UAE, I just assumed everyone would be a stranger. So that was, I think that was kind of easy because I just assumed that no one knew anything about Native people. And if they did, it wasn't like, they probably wouldn't have very strong, you know, uh, understanding of my tribe. And so that was kind of going in. Um, but my tribe, when I do talk about it, it's very, it's based on like, um, unlike Arab tribes, it's all through the woman. So like my first tribe is my mother's clan and all of her female relatives, all her female ancestors. My second clan is my dad's clan and he gets his clan from my grandma. Mm -hmm. So it goes to my grandma and all her female relatives. And then my mom's dad, and all, so my mom's dad got his clan from his mother, so my great grandmother, and all her female relatives. And so that's how the clans go. And so you have four of them, and it trusts all your female lineage. And so for me, the female was always really important. And like, yeah, we've had presently with after dealing with colonization, or while we still continue to deal with colonization. The woman's role in our society has been greatly impacted by the influence of Western culture, especially like governmental systems. Like some people will say, oh, women aren't allowed to lead. Um, but before we were, we, we were allowed in the political system and the fact that we were incorporated as like consultants, like we elected the people who chose the leaders. If that makes sense. Yeah. And so through that, we, we were able to choose the leaders. And for us, the, like, I suppose, like, the genders for us, um, they're compatible. They're, like, seen as two parts that create a whole. Mm -hmm. And so there's no, like, equitability because they're not the same. Like, they, they'll never be the same. The two sexes aren't the same and they'll never be the same. So we... We're just like, well, we complement one another and we create a functioning system and a whole. And so for me, that has always been kind of just the backdrop. Like, that was the foundation where I was taught. Like, that's how things moved in life. But, like, obviously the reality is, like, alcoholism and drug use and violence and, like, these things, like, when they manifested, like, our families would just say this isn't, our way this isn't how it's supposed to be you know go back to the old ways and that's always been a little like there's always a gray space and I feel like that's how it is with everything because you know like you can't just say oh yeah there's alcoholism in society because there's also culture and you can't say there's just culture because there's obviously problems and so for us it was always like we live in like this gray space and you know you represent who you are so you represent a Dene woman you represent you know someone who grew up with an alcoholic you represent someone who is in college and so you're all these statistics but you also are a part of the collective whole so you create who we are as a you know as a people and so just do whatever you do you know like do good and just you know follow our philosophy and that then you'll be a good Dene person and that's all that really matters and so that was like my idea of tribe <laughs> but then like sometimes I meet people and they're like oh our tribes are like the way we think about tribes are this way and that wasn't completely foreign to me because there are lots of different tribes in the U.S. and some of them are different like like a lot of them are different than us and so I was already used to the idea of having tribal people who were different than us mm -hmm. but then still just with the underlying thing of like, oh yeah, we're tribal people, but we're different and we should embrace that difference, but we should just, you know, understand our relationships to one another. How do you feel about the media being like media in the Middle East and the viewing of American, the American identities that exist? Well, 
on the subject of media and that, it was, like, actually people would call me Red Indian because that's how it was referred to yeah. back in the 1970s, which is what a lot of older people who I met, that's what, you know, their context for Native Americans was. And then I think in um, Arabic, it's Omar al-Hint, like, Red Indian. Like, that's what we're called. Oh, my God. <laughs> and and they're like, that's what we call you. And I was just like, well... You better get a new name. There's something like... And then I asked people to... I think it's Amriki Al-Sleen. Yeah, Amriki al yeah. Original American. Yeah. I was like, I'd rather that like that be what you call me. And so it'd be it's like... It's kind of cute. Like, when I talk to Arabic speakers and they call me a Red Indian, I'm like, ah, oh, I don't actually prefer that. And then they'll be like, oh, yes, the original Americans. And I was like... That's so cute, but I mean, it's good because, you know, that's me creating relationships and these connections. Um, and it was also really interesting because at the same time, like the whole Redskins things was a really big yeah. issue, like right when I had come. And so like me, like coming from, you know, this and my Facebook page was being flooded with all these articles about the Redskins and, you know, all this stuff happening. And then here I was in the UAE being called the Red Indian for the first time in my life <laughs> and I was just like oh okay and people were like yeah we've seen like native people red indians on like tv and shows and stuff and I would just be like so this is their opinion and this is through cinema and then so they do like it's either that or we don't exist yeah or I, well, I, that's not fair because some of the people who I met in college in, at the university, like, they had been educated about Native issues, and so they call, call me a Native American, which was actually really nice for me because it was like, oh, that's good. We're, you know, as an Indigenous people, we're, you know, we're at least mentioned on the global scene. Yeah. That was nice. Um, and I think it also kind of, as... Um, I don't know what people assumed because because of this, you know, manufactured media driven like identity of Americans that's you know seen throughout the world. Um, like and it's not only through like movies, but it's through music and you know, written media and stuff like this, but like people would be I, I suppose sometimes they'd be really critical of that and I would agree with them. I was like, Yeah, like America is very consumeristic, like we have all these problems and they'd be like oh I'm really surprised you agree with me and I was like yeah I was like well as a minority and especially as a native person I can see like all the issues that America has like as a country as a nation and I was like but that doesn't mean I don't you know take and be thankful for the you know all the like I said the privileges I have and you know the allowances I have as an, an American you know, so, and that way I could connect with a lot of the other American students, but and I can also connect with a lot of other people, which is good. Um, when you hear the word empathy, what do you, like, feel? The word empathy. Um, empathy, I think, uh, it's different than sympathy. It's just like, oh, I'm really sad that they, you know, that this happened. If it, if it was me, just bring context with it so like oh that person was called a bad name well thank god it's not me you know like you know it's a bad name but you don't know how that hurts Mm. but empathy is more like trying to understand this person and trying to understand how it affects them that's empathy it like goes a step further than yeah it go it does go a step further than sympathy because sometimes i feel like when you understand certain issues, other problems that you see, you sit there and you say, like, let me take the moment to understand why they're feeling the way that they're feeling, and maybe I'll understand it, maybe I'll get it, maybe I won't, but at least I'm going to try to understand fully, like, to my best, like, to my capabilities, um, allow me. Um, But another question I have is, the traveling that you did, because I remember you went to Egypt, you went to France, and like you went to places you've never been before, but you navigated through it as if you've been there. Like I felt like, oh, Ruthie can handle herself like, anywhere. 
So, like, tell us more about your travels and how it helped, like, how did it help you in terms of your perspectives and identity and your own work? For example, you are an artist as well, and how did all these things, like, affect you later on? When I was in Southeast Asia, I went to other people, and then the next trip I took was in France, and there... I was alone, but I was almost every part of the trip. I was with someone I knew, which was nice. And then the final leg, which was after the school year ended, I went to Thailand, solely Thailand, and I was completely by myself. Um, that's a little bit of a lie because I did have some friends there who I met during like the first week. And then, so I, I met with them, which was really nice. But then the rest of the trip, I was very much, I was by myself. And so it was, I think it was a good gradual kind of flow to independence traveling. Um, so I think now I'd be, like, I'd be fine traveling by myself independently and, you know, be secure in who I am as a traveler and, you know, um, so that's nice. But in terms of each of the trips, they... I don't know, they all had their own flavor, which was nice. So the Egypt trip, it was a wedding, and there was a lot of people from the school who went, and so it was, it it was very celebratory, and it was like a new experience for all of us, at least for the exchange students who are coming, and like it wasn't a traditional wedding, so... And by traditional, I just mean it was multicultural, so it wasn't following any particular, like, it did follow, like, Egyptian traditions, but it also... But even traveling, like, how has that impacted, like, a lot of the things that you see today? It's opened my eyes so much, um, and it makes me want to travel even more. I think, uh, especially being single and alone... It's, um, I mean, those single and alone kind of go together, but, uh, but like being, um, like not in a relationship and traveling by yourself, it really opens you up to like, just understanding yourself and like what you want to do with your time and what you want to do, you know, just what do you want out of an experience? And especially when I was traveling, I think even before I came to my study abroad, my mom was like, I'm, oh, I just think, you know, I just, I'm so thankful for my mother because she's, she's educated and she, she always adds like this perspective. She's like, whenever you travel, cause I knew I was going to Thailand at the very end because I had booked my flight that way. So I, I knew I was going to Thailand and she told me when I left, she's like, when you go there, don't go as just a tourist. Don't go as just, you know, that is true. She's like, you're not like any other American who goes. You're not like any other person, you know, who goes traveling to this country. She's like, you bring a story with you. And it's important to see these people as people. And I think also because even though the Navajo Nation, it will, we're really big. So we do get our fair share of tourists. Mm-hmm. And so I understand kind of the tourist culture. Um and she's like, don't just, you know, like, actually try and have a relationship and understand, you know, these people. Because they're, they're people. Like, they're different than you, and they live in a different culture. But don't exotify them. Don't, you know, think any. Just, she's like, just be there. Just be present when you're traveling. And so that was, I think, really important. And don't, because, like, you can read all these things about, like, Thai people, or you can read these things about French or Egyptian people, but when you really get there, it's like, yeah, like, you may see something, and you're like, ding, oh, yeah, I've read about this, or, you know, oh, that's that thing in history, or something like that, but don't dwell on, like, unless you're going there for, like, academic study or, you know, a specific reason. Mm-hmm. I think just kind of take it all in as the experience because if you focus so much on one thing, then you're going to miss out on, you know, something you may have never seen before. That is true. Um, I was going to ask about the 
the the Columbus Day thing that you were working hard uh, to change in your um, state, in your city, especially. Can you tell us more about that? So in at the beginning of this year, 2016, I, well, I had worked on it before then, but um, in January, I presented to the Durango City Council to have them adopt a resolution that I drafted concerning Indigenous Peoples Day, um, which is a movement to replace Columbus Day in the United States with Indigenous Peoples Day. And the primary reasons were just that Columbus himself wasn't a good man. Um, and I, don't, I assume most people understand this, but he was like the harbinger of not only colonial practices, which included, you know, like the rape and enslavement of many Native people, um, but it also included, like, the pre, you know, the foundations for the transatlantic slave trade, which brought many, like, African people here and subjugated them in a way that was, like, that had never really been present in the world before. And so that, like, in those two actions, it, you know, it's very detrimental. Um, it had very detrimental effects on two large, two groups in the United States. And not only the United States, but all of the Americas, because, like, the slave trade in the Caribbean, in Central and South America, and especially in Brazil, were, like, you know, like, they, their societies are, like, heavily influenced by this. Um, and as a person in the Southwest, I don't really see much of this transatlantic slave trade like we had enslavement of native people which was kind of why we were it's actually interesting because the first um the first like european that uh the pueblos met he was actually a black guy really he <laughs> yeah he was a conquistador but he was a moor and he was the only one who survived <laughs> like this height this far north Oh my gosh. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we had our own relationship with the Spanish, and it wasn't always, like, it was more raid and, like, it was more warlike. And so when the Americans came, they just tossed in a lot of things. But just, so that was the main reason. Columbus is not a very reputable man. So we don't want to celebrate him. Um, and the college, um, Fort Lewis, we had, well, it was actually started before I came there, but it was called Real History of the Americas. This year is going to be its ninth year, and it was just a celebration to celebrate the real history of the Americas, because we said that, you know, if we're going to celebrate Columbus Day, we're not really celebrating the real history that happened. Mm -hmm, and that's true. we need to celebrate that, and that includes, you know, recognizing the transatlantic slave trade, recognizing, you know, all of the pain that... Columbus brought in setting up colonialism. You know, he's like, he may not have been the first European to come here, but he, or to like, you know, to the Americas, but he, you know, he's memorialized for being like, being this like pivotal point that changed, you know, from this point on, things are changing in the Americas and in like the Western world the old world and the new world meet and you know things are never the same and that yeah we can recognize that and that's a part of the real histories which is why we push this you know we're going to talk about the real history and we're not going to commemorate a man who had bad practices um so that's what the event was about and i was involved with that before i left for the uae i was a co-chair for the event and so this past year i was more of a consultant for the uh, this year's event and I was talking with some of the other members and we're just like you know it's time we need to have Indigenous Peoples Day a lot of other universities a lot of other cities Alaska had just um, adopted Indigenous Peoples Day so we're like we need to do this in Durango and so we're like we're waiting for someone to start a petition to you know write a resolution and no one would do it and so you have to take the initiative if no one's going to do it so that's what we did and we, uh, we kind of drafted a, like a, an idea of what we wanted. 
Mm-hmm. And then from there, I took mine to the city council, and then a couple, two of the other students took it to our college. Mm-hmm. And so they pursued the college route, and they got it adopted. And then I took it through the city. And so that was that. And it's actually kind of big because um, Denver earlier that year, earlier last year, had adopted Indigenous Peoples Day in the city of Denver. And so with our adoption of it in Durango, uh, one of the representatives, Joe Salazar, he said that he proposed a bill for uh, Colorado to adopt Indigenous Peoples Day as a state, which I'm really excited about and I hope it happens. So we've worked with many different mediums, and not only different mediums, but different subject matters. And so we had to find stuff that we wanted to paint. And I'm not sure what people think of when they think of Native art, um, because for me, Native art has always just been Native people creating things. And that included, like, my grandma's rugs, my, you know, my relatives' metalwork whether they made jewelry and things like this and my father my uncles they all did visual arts like and it was like some of it was graffiti art some of it was more like I don't know there's like this style in native art where like people will draw stylized natives who are like staring off into the sunset and they'll have like eagles and wolves and feathers and you know like a blue moon rising and like all this stuff and there's also, like, old-timey, like, 1800s, 1900s, 1700s pictures of people. Yeah, and so there are these, you know, themes. And then there's also, like, a large body of photography that was also taken because they assumed that Native people were going to vanish. So we had to go and document everyone before, every, before they disappeared. Oh, God. <laughs> so we have all these really, like, we have these images like, some of them are staged, which some people criticize, but, you know, even though it's staged, it still offers a window to... The past. You know, yeah. And so, you just have to under- take into account that it was staged. But some of them aren't, and I think that those are my favorite. And so, it was just kind of... My mother told us, and she exposed us to all of these different avenues. And my parents also met at art school, so they have their own ideas of art. And... My mother is a poet, my dad was a sculptor and a painter, and so they told us to, you know, that whatever we did would be Native art because we were Native, and whatever you did would be a part of Native art, and so that was kind of how it is, and we created things that we wanted to see that were funny to us. Um, A lot of our art revolves around humor, or it's political, or it... I don't know, it, it's, it satirizes some of the other, like, manifestations of art that we see. Um, some of it, like, just the creative process makes us happy. And so we like to see funny things and real things, I think. So, like, my sister, she did one of these photos. Like, and it comes from real life. Like, we got a Wii one time for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And my grandma played it. And it was really interesting to see my grandma, like, with the Wii controller, like, doing her thing. And so my sister painted a picture of a grandma playing a Wii. And 
like people loved it and it was just really odd because we were like well this is just our life but people don't see that because it's not really shared in any other way like if you don't have a relationship with native people a native family you don't see like the funny little nuanced things that don't stigmatize us you know mm -hmm. and so like that was that's kind of how we see so we just drew things that you know we we liked we felt um I drew a picture when I was uh, younger, like my mom showed me these old like Polaroid photos, or maybe Polaroid, I don't know, like the ones you get out of the machines. Yeah, yeah. Um, of my grandmas, like all of my grandmas in the 50s, and they all had like super 50s hair, they had like those glasses, they had bright red lipstick, and they were all just taking pictures in these like, you know, on these little reels. And so we had all these Polaroids of them, like, taking pretty much, like, glam shots together. And it was really cute because they were, like, my grandmas who are, like, 80 and 90 now. And you see them. And, like, yeah, it was a part. It fit into the, like, the larger things. Like, academically, we talk about relocation and, like, boarding school. And there's just, like, these big evil things that happen and displaced our people. But then, like in that process, you have my grandmas who are taking glam shots, you know, just having fun being teenagers. And they're existing. And, you know, it's like, that's their experience. And I'm pretty sure, like, you know, 50 years from now, there's going to be some academic writer who's going to, you know, write about people like us, like Somalis who are, you know, in different countries. You know, their experiences are like Native people who you know, in this new generation of Native people who are trying to decolonize, you know? There's going to be academic papers about us, but it's not going to be, like, the, you the know, how we interpret one. it. Because there's something that, like, words can't describe in yeah. through art. Like, it's an experience looking at art and making it, and that's, it's like a language that you can't, that doesn't need words. Yeah. Sometimes, like... For me, in creating different forms of art and using different mediums, it's like it's taking an, an like initiative that you have to because you feel like you're not doing it only for yourself, but you're you're doing it for people who need it. Yes, I definitely feel that way too. And for me, I would always talk. It was always brought up in the way of like seventh generation. Yeah, and. It was always really interesting because I am the seventh generation from the Long Walk, which was the forcible, the forced relocation of our people to Fort Sumner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like people always refer to that, like the seventh generation, always think about the seventh generation. That's a native thought. It's like, like the people, all the ruler, like, not the rulers, but like the leaders at Fort Sumner, all the people who are at Fort Sumner, they were thinking about me. They were never going to know me. They were never going to like understand the nuance of my life mm -hmm. but they were thinking about me and their decisions are the reason that like you know the native people like Diné people still have land the reason we still have language you know the reason I can still call myself a Diné woman is because they were thinking about me and they were safeguarding you know these things so that I could have them in the future and so that like you said that's what art does for us now it's it like everything we do it's not even for us, our generation. Yeah, it impacts us, but it's really for the future. You know, whether it's my younger sisters or, you know, seven generations down the line when there's, like, a little girl, whether she, you know, like, as long as she can relate and understand, like, if I read Audre Lorde or, like, Juno Diaz, it's not, like, just because I'm not, you know, black or I'm not, like, you know, Latin American – it doesn't mean I can't connect with those, you know, bodies of creation on some level. Yeah. Um, I think that is, you know, prominent is that, like, for the Diné culture, we didn't have we we didn't have a written language. Like now, we use like Latinized scripts with diacritics and things to kind of phonetically sound out words. But for us, it was an all oral language, mm -hmm. and so. When we did communicate, we communicated through, like, stories and, you know, like you said, the words that people speak. 
-hmm. and then also through our art and for us art wasn't necessarily like art it was more practical things that we made beautiful And so now it's a little different because we have different mediums and, like, painting is a little bit more, you know, it can just be an artistic pursuit and doesn't have to have ulterior motives. But, you know, like, the the idea still applies and it's still reminiscent and still there. Like, what do you do to stay afloat? Self-care for me is working daily to... Just be my, like, it's not, hmm. I, I say that I kind of give the abbreviated version for myself just because I'm in college and I'm really busy, but it's just being mindful every day of your physical health, your mental health, your spiritual health, and just maintaining balance in your life. And this comes from, like, the Diné idea of Hojon, which mm-hmm. is beauty, and a part of that beauty is balance, mm-hmm. and... A good example of beauty, I think I shared this with you, is, like, how you view the beauty is, like, you can think about it as, like, not physical beauty, but, like, beauty of just the experience. Um, So, eating food. Uh, Eating a meal in a beautiful way is, you know, understanding where your food came from. Like, if you have vegetables, did you grow them in your own garden? Did you tend them? Did you take the time? And, you know, did you you know, embrace the soil and, you know, have this relationship with your food. And then, like, if you had meat, was it ethically raised? Did it have a good life before it died? Was it killed well? Was it killed with respect and, you know, um, consideration? And then, like, why are you hungry? Is it because you worked hard? Because you were doing good things? Like, and then, like, when you finally come and eat, you are satisfied. You're having a good chat with people you like you know, um, with your family, and so you're just, you're taking good things into your body, like, there's no pesticide, that's beauty, like, that is what hojon is, mm-hmm. like, in the simple things, like, eating, you know, and so just being mindful of that, so, as a part of my physical health, I think about, like, what am I putting into my body, like, am I gonna, you know, eat a <laughs> processed mac and cheese, or, Am I going to try and take the time to make my own food, even though I'm busy? And, you know, so it's those things. Like, yeah, obviously sometimes I slip up because I'm in college and, I'm, you know, I'll be <laughs> <It's> hungry. <okay. laughs> and we're like, oh, God, mac and cheese at the NAC. And the NAC is the Native American Center, and sometimes they have free food. And so sometimes if I miss my lunchtime, I'll run over there and see if they have any free food. And they usually have, like, mac and cheese or, like, those little microwavable oatmeal packets. Mm-hmm. So it's like, come on, NBC, cultivate our health. But, um, so, yeah, that, so that's a part of the mental, I mean, physical health. And then the mental health is, like, again, just being mindful of, like, your actions. Like, do you take, you know... Do you take time to think? Do you, or do you take time to listen first? Because I don't know. Did I share this with you? It's a proverb, kind of just saying. So you have two eyes, two ears, two noses, two hands, but you only have one mouth. Because you're supposed to take. You know, you're supposed to do things, hear things, see things, smell things twice as much as you're supposed to speak. Mm-hmm. And so, like, just taking. Uh, responsibility for what you say so you know even if you say the wrong thing or not necessarily the wrong thing but you say something and somebody doesn't agree with it okay you still have to own that word you know what you said and I think that's what's important taking responsibility for what you say and then um you know just thinking what kind of like how do I be like how do I maintain my mental health Mm -hmm. like I can't this is especially strong when I take um, like Native American studies classes. Like, how much do I want to be impacted by what I read? Because mm-hmm. sometimes you read really, like, terrible things and it just hurts you. Like, it hurts your soul. And you're just like, how did we recover? Like, how is there hope? And it's just like, how much of this do I want to internalize at this moment? Because sometimes I can be very good at kind of keeping it all at bay, just, like, taking it in as facts, 
And then every once in a while, I'll just kind of feel everything I've heard and learned and it'll just hurt. And those are the moments when I like, I need to draw something, (laughs) you know, like I just need to get this out. And that's, I think that that's healthy. And that's kind of just being aware of like, when do I need these moments where I just need to let go and create something so that I can feel better and keep going forward. So that's like the mental health. And then the spiritual health is just like, are you taking time out of your day to cultivate your spiritual self? And this is where I really don't have a problem with people who, you know, like are different religions than me or practice spirituality different than me. Because as long as, like for me, as long as you're taking time out of your day to cultivate yourself, your spiritual self, then, you know, that's better and we can connect with that rather than someone who doesn't even, who just neglects it and thinks it's not important. Because as a Native person, you understand that, you know, your spiritual health is really important. And which is why I find, like, Islam really beautiful because I'm like, it's instituted that you pray five times a day. That, you know, you have all of these things every, like, at different points in the day that remind you, you know, to cultivate yourself and to, you know, and I think that not only the spiritual health it expands into mental and physical too because they're very interconnected. And so it's just like, like that. And um, so for Diné people, you pray in the morning and you pray in the evening. I always don't make it quite on time. <laughs> but um, okay. it's not necessary. It's not nearly as strict as like Islam. <laughs> so, um, but like you're supposed to pray in the morning and sometimes it'll just be like, thank you for, you know, let me have a good day. And, you know, just taking the time to be thankful and grateful. And, um, like, for me, it's also kind of, like, amorphous because I was raised in a Christian home. So Christianity has always been really big. But then my other half of the family is more traditional and so, like, those two have always had a push and pull. And for me, that spiritual, like, health is just figuring out, is slowly working towards, like, what my, like, what I believe. Because both of these ideologies kind of come together. And in some cases, they overlap really well. And in others, they just butt heads. And so when they butt heads, I need to figure out which, like, why do they butt heads and... Mm-hmm. Like, what, what am I going to do? Like, do I want to mesh them together? Do I want to choose one over the other? And how do I choose? And for me, that's my daily kind of, because, you know, that's one area that I don't have a firm, you know, a super firm grasp, which I think, I don't know about Islam, but, you know, because with Islam, there's this definitiveness, which I don't have with my spiritual self, which I think I know it's a detriment for me because it makes me, you know, a little bit more undecisive and it, like, that can cause problems for some people. Like, even the Christian faith, like, they're like, oh, you don't really believe? But I'm like, I believe in, I believe Jesus existed. I believe in all of, you know, the miracles he performed. But then I also, you know, I have this whole mythology that I, you know, do believe as well. And so for me, that's really hard, especially as a Native person. on what that gift is it can help you and you know 
don't always think about yourself. Think about the people who came before you and think about the people who will come after and use that gift to honor the people who came before you and create a good future for the people who will come after. And like your gift may not be like singing or dancing or drawing or, you know, writing really well. It can be something like just, you know, being an empower, like, you know, if your words are encouraging, you know, cultivate that gift. And, you know, some people like may need lots of encouragement. And if you have a gift of, um, you know, encouraging people to explore, to keep going, you know, use it. And it may be more like less tangible things like that, you know? Or like if you have a gift of, you know, being like really scientifically driven, like use that gift to explore this world and make it better, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that that's the thing. Like, there's always hope. There's always, um, you know, it's optimistic, and that's what we need. Because we can get so dragged down by pessimism and just the hard things. Like, everyone's going through hard things. Like, some a lot more than others, but, like, we need creative processes to help us. Um, before we go... Can you tell like can you tell us where we can find your work and where can we like um, contact you? Um, so me and my sisters have a website. It's called edgirlart.com. Um, my stuff is a little outdated. I haven't put up anything new in like four years, but my sister's stuff is pretty new. Mm-hmm. Um, you can reach me through that website and. Or, I don't know how Halima, do you have contact info? Because I'm sure you could contact Halima and then contact me. Yeah, um, so my my Twitter account is linked. Um, it's Hallie Lime, H-A-L-I-L-I-M-E, Hallie Lime, basically. Um, I'm on Twitter and on Instagram using the same username. So if anybody has anything to ask, Ruthie, I can obviously direct it to her. Um, Yeah, and uh, that is it for today's episode. Thank you, and bye. How do you say bye in Finnish? Hogoshi. Okay, bye.